Good day and welcome to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Sistership Training, who can provide you with the tools to cruise confidently. And Pantenius Yacht Insurance. This is part two of our adventure around the Great Loop. In part one, we'd just said farewell to New York and now we're heading inland along the Hudson River towards Canada. Noel throws me a look as my loud sneeze bounces off the vast pink glimmering rocks. The alien noise echoes around in our secluded, staggeringly quiet anchorage. We would not be at all surprised if a salivating T-Rex crashes through the profusion of trees that are begging for the company of ramblers. This was just one of our countless superb anchorages we found within our expedition around the Great Loop. We are a good way through this journey now and are preparing to say our farewells to a remarkable, ever-changing country. Last spring, we took the intracoastal waterway to New York. Then we turned west to a brand new voyage. From New York, we patter along the Hudson River, housing an exotic cocktail of anxiousness and intrigue, wondering what the adventures inland America and Canada holds for us. Planning here is critical. Tidal waters creating sturdy currents can make the difference between a stressful battle and a peaceful glide. Wide, green and deep, the Hudson is easy to navigate, leaving ample time to view the manicured lawns, tree-covered banks and tumbling castle ruins. It all seems effortless, and if you take a peek at dawn, the hills cloaked in opaque mist transports you to the eerie highlands of Scotland. The unshakable boaty grapevine assured us that mast-stepping is easy and cheap. It is the DIY bit that worried me. Castleton-on-Hudson is friendly, funky and frequently made us feel like movie stars as the locals became intrigued with the funny-sounding foreigners. It is here that we are turning Mariah 2 into a motorboat. The next part of the trip squeezes us under low bridges and up and down hills via large, formidable locks. After a day of preparation, early the following day, Mariah and crew are the guinea pigs. A French-Canadian couple will be next to take down their mast. A single-hander, who's American, wants to put his mast back up. So we all agree to help each other. As the crane takes the weight, our mast is perfectly balanced. Ready with wooden cradles for support, we ease the heavy lump of timber and its metal limbs along the lengths of Mariah. When the mast is secure, we are ready to tackle the next boat. And that one doesn't go quite as smoothly. Backs are aching and tempers fray as the unbalanced mast catches in uncompromising positions. Lastly, we all help the American put his mast back up. Unfortunately, as the mast reaches its vertical limits, it's then we notice that the rigging is fixed around the mast and held in place with the crane straps. Oop, 
we all have to start again. As lunchtime slinks up on us, we tighten the last shackle and sit in comfortable companionship, sipping cool beers. Our new friends, work colleagues and fellow travellers give credit to Noel. His planning and forethought made us look like professionals. Boaties are such a wonderful breed. It's the most inclusive club we've ever belonged to. We approach our first lock in the Erie Canal, which is part of the New York Canal system. Casting our minds back to our France experience, when we could not figure out whether the doors were open or closed, we were pleased to see that the locks here are clearer and cleaner. In France, the lock doors are a lovely shade of black to match the decor within. This, of course, made it a trifle difficult to distinguish any difference in door open and door shut. Feeling more at ease in the States, we tentatively coax Mariah into the dungeon-like lock. Our full kill means we maintain little steerage when we slow down. With powerful currents carrying us along, it makes somewhat of a stressful situation. The locks are a little like puttering into a horror movie. They are a large, creaking chamber. There is the sound of dripping water, the groaning of some internal machinations, and the occasional screech of a buzzer to summon the spectator. The lock keepers are friendly and helpful, but can only watch as we enter and frantically try to identify something, besides each other, to tie on to. The tumultuous locks in France taught us that you can never have enough fenders. So, Mariah looks like an inflatable boat right now, covered completely in plastic and timber boards. The huge door grinds shut behind us and the water starts rising. The water swirls and bubbles, the chamber creaks, groans, and we stare up at the green, slimy walls. The lockmaster suggests we should remove a few of the planks of wood that rest upon the fenders, as they're going to get in the way. But our France experience suggests they may not be enough. However, after rising up hundreds of metres and descending back down again through a plethora of locks of varying heights, we realise the US actually knows what it's doing. The locks are mild, painless and really quite enjoyable. It's astonishing to think we are hill climbing on our boat. At either side of the locks or in an accommodating town, free, clean, tie-up places are provided. And it's here we meet locals interested in our voyage. I interview people for my writing and they interview us for their local papers. We are the furthest travel foreign sailing boat most people have seen and we feel a little humbled at all the attention we receive. As the northern evening arrives and the unique light to these latitudes softens the view, the mouth-watering smell of barbecues smothers the fragrance of freshly cut grass. For us, it is time to stop for the night, relax and study charts for tomorrow, our trip across the border to Canada. We are inland in Canada on our boat that is our home, and yes, we cannot quite believe it too. The Great Lakes are just that, great vast expanses of water that are really inland seas. We are unsure what to expect entering Canada, 
We know that they charge for locking through and for mooring up at the locks. However, if you are over 77 years of age and are operating a vessel under 18 feet, you get a free lockage pass. Hmm. The pilot information explained that leaving the main channel for anchoring can be dangerous, with shoaling and debris. Preferring to anchor, we decide to take a punt and cautiously pick our way off the channel and found that we had not one problem. In fact, we had no need to hand over any of our hard cash to Canadian officials for moorings throughout the entire trip through Canada. There are alternative routes to choose to traverse the Great Loop, and the Great Lakes beckon with an ideal opportunity for some good sailing. However, with time and budget against us, our mast stays prone. Warily, we approach open water. Staggered at the might of the lakes, these inland seas, we select our weather judiciously. The shallow, weightless fresh water allows hefty, cube-like waves to build swiftly in only a modest breeze. And suddenly we're in the spectacular Trent Seven. The air smells different here, like home. It's fresh and inviting with the promise of adventure. Not once do we tire of the endless pink and black glimmering rock formations that weave us through the shimmering water. Here, inventive builders piece together esoteric houses on rocks that are scattered throughout the canals and hidden in picture book bays. Nestled in their own jetty, it leaves you wondering which movie star may hide there. We make plans to return someday. It's here that we experience what it'd be like to drive through Treacle. With numerous places to anchor, we guide Mariah from the main channel and she turns into a languid lump. Suspiciously, we peer over the side and see that bushy weed, just visible under the surface, has Mariah in its clutches. Little by little, we extract ourselves from the embracing triffid back to the main channel. It's like working our way through a syrupy paste. This, thankfully, was a one-off phenomenon. Night after night, alone, we revel in the serenity of our contentedness. Looking east from the partly protected bay, the horizon is a tiny speck. From our deserted surroundings, we can see for miles. Perhaps the world has ended and no one has told us. Ashore, we are acutely aware that this is bear, snake and spider country. Stepping into the vibrant forest, we raise our voices to scare off any prowling bears. Noel plans to play dead if approached by a large grizzly. I intend to look it in the eye and back off. I feel quite at ease, because if my plan fails, at least the bear will have had a hearty meal before he gets to me. We collect wood for our modest potbelly stove that keeps us snug on board. The nights are becoming chilly, but the clear sparkle of the water still beckons us in each day. On the shore, the pink, blue and quartz stones are like jewels. Each one I lift for a closer inspection houses a creepy, long-legged spider that skitters in one direction while I scurry in another. Some of the rock formations stir our imagination. They are reportedly over 100 million years old. I wonder what has walked here before us, if only they could whisper their secrets. As we gather information on the Peterborough Hydraulic Lock, 
a stranger takes great pleasure in enlightening us that farther along the Trent Severn, the depth is down to three feet. With our five-foot draught, this caused some anxious creasing of the crew's foreheads. The lockmasters will tell you everyone is having a problem, he expounded. But the fearless Mariah 2 crew carried on in the face of adversity, knowing that somewhere along the line, someone would tell us what to do. Well, at least we hoped. Twice we bumped our bottom, but there was no damage and absolutely no water less than five feet. The locals we meet along the Trent Seven waterways are intrigued with our travels. You sailed all the way in that boat? But Mariah has her own exclusive claims to fame. In England, she's been perched on the highest hill in Hertfordshire and sped along the M25 motorway. Now we are going to put her in a large bathtub that shoots in the air, then on a railway track. Quite a feat for an ocean-going vessel. Canada has two unique systems aside from the usual locks. The first is a lift lock. We drive into a large bathtub and the door rises out of the depths behind us to secure us in. Another fall at the top does the same and his weight pushes water from somewhere below him into somewhere below us. He comes down, we go up. Underneath us both is a large, hopefully strong, ram. The ride is speedy and smooth and peering over a 20 metre ledge in a boat is a bit bizarre. The second unique system is the marine railway or the big chute. For economic reasons and as a barrier to prevent migration of the parasitic sea lamprey, a huge 100 tonne open carriage has been built over granite that separates would-be converging waterways. Riding on twin tracks, it lifts boats out of the water, over the rock, to offload them into the river on the other side. Mariah, held by slings, is over 17 metres high, looking out over a sheer drop of hard rock. As she rattles in the air, our hearts rattle in the same rhythm. Aside from the fairground rise through Canada, the scenery is by far the most breathtaking we have ever seen, anywhere in the world. In the translucent water, lilies do a Mexican wave in our soft wake. Sentinel silver birches stand tall on pink granite next to proud pines that mix with a surplus of greens, all tinged with an autumn flush. Each night swinging on anchor with our private 360 degree panorama, we savour the views like a fine wine, trying to taste, absorb and never forget. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you are enjoying this story. You can continue the journey with us with the next and final episode. If you'd like to read the story, go on over to sistershiptraining.com and click on articles. Do join us again and check out sistershiptraining.com for videos and more podcasts. I wish you safe sailing.